Our first reading this morning is a couple of passages, the first of which is found in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42, and I'm beginning at the first verse. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And then a section from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our second reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 1, and that's on page 37 in the New Testament section of the Bibles. Mark chapter 1 and beginning at verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptised you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water... He saw the heavens torn apart and a spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. 
With you, I am well pleased. So today is, if you didn't know, Epiphany Sunday. It's technically the last Sunday in Christmas, which for some of you, I think, um, I've already had a couple of conversations. People are breathing a sigh of relief that it's all over and we can get back to normality. For me, I have the post-Christmas blues. Um, I don't think that's just because I've had to come back to work this morning, but <laughs> it's, um, it is lovely to see you all here and to see faces returning from their Christmas breaks. And Epiphany, I'm sure many of you know, is traditionally the Sunday that we talk about the Magi coming to visit Jesus. Um, but if any of you were here last week, you also know that Simon used those passages last week. Um, so I decided to do a little bit of research, and there are other passages that we use at Epiphany as well. Um, the, the, the verses we had this morning were from uh, Jesus' baptism, and Epiphany meaning a revelation. So the Ethan Orthodox Church use the baptism of Jesus as their Epiphany readings, and they do some pretty crazy things, like they have some fun traditions, which is uh, the priest throws a crucifix into the sea, and the men have to go in after it and find it. I did wonder about taking a trip down the Thames and seeing if we could reenact it here, but I thought the better of it. I have actually myself had, um, like, done a New Year's swim on the 1st of January. Has anyone else done that in the sea? No? No? Oh, Graham, well done. It's bracing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I would recommend it. If, you're, if you have a New Year's celebration near the sea, um, go and have a go. It is, it is a refreshing way to start the year. Um, but the interesting thing about this is obviously it's, it's, it's done in community. So these people are doing it together. So there's a, a ton of people that jump into the sea trying to find the crucifix. And, and when I went swimming, I didn't, I didn't go by myself. I don't think I would have plucked up the courage to go by myself. There was a group of us and we were all egging each other on. And it seemed like a great idea at the time. And it was a lot of fun. And so my sermon this morning is going to be about the epiphany of the baptism and coming together in community and the idea that these epiphanies don't happen in isolation, they happen in community with other people. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole of the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. So straight away, we have this idea of the masses coming out, or at least a number of people, perhaps coming in groups, plucking up the courage, coming like, are you going down? I'm going to go. Will you come with me? I'll go if you go. Coming down in groups, coming down together with family, with friends, and being baptized and confessing their sins. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. As I, I always enjoyed that verse as a kid, like that God was well pleased. They just, those of you that are in my generation will know that. <laughs> but we have this epiphany. Jesus is God's son, beloved. And it is this public act that it's not just Jesus going down by himself. There would have been a group there. There would have been crowds. There would have been people who were already coming down. There would have been John's disciples. It is a public act, a public declaration. This personal act that Jesus is doing. 
becomes a public epiphany that changes everything right at the beginning of Jesus' path that leads him to the cross. In one paragraph, we have Jesus from Nazareth, Galilee, turning into, well, not turning into, being proclaimed as, being revealed as God's son, beloved. And this public way of God working doesn't start here, but starts earlier. We see it in the passage from Isaiah. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. This is a foretelling, a... This is the the passages that we see that can link to Jesus, to who Jesus was, that there is this declaration that God is going to be working publicly, that God is going to be working for all people. The covenant is for everyone. It's a light to all the nations. And as I think this is something that I realized myself as I matured in the church and then went to Bible college. I remember thinking when I was younger and when I was more immature, that my faith was something that was personal, that I had this personal relationship with Jesus, and that it was something private even. It was a special little relationship that no one else knew about. And my faith was all about me. It was all about inward-lookingness. And then I was baptized, and I suddenly realized that it was this public declaration of something, of this personal relationship that I, I had. My faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. It was always meant to be within a larger community, within a wider group of people. And Jesus' ministry starts with this baptism, this epiphany of who he is. And I think this passage, it seems a little bit ambiguous when we read it, that is this voice from heaven coming just to Jesus, or does everyone get to hear it as well? And maybe it's both personal and communal. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and a spirit descending like a dove on him. This phrase, torn apart, is a, the word is a schizo, and there's only two times that Mark uses this word, and it's here in the baptismal story. And the second time is when the, tur- the curtain in the temple is torn in two. It's this same word. And I think this has to be deliberate. Mark's choice of placing the word bookending, the three years of ministry of Jesus, this breaking through. It starts with the heavens being torn apart and the spirit being poured out. And again, it ends with the curtains being torn apart and that holy of holies being opened up. God is accessible to all, given as a covenant to the people and a light to the nations. God breaks through to be in community with us. And I realize that when it comes to faith, actually, it's all about community. Life is better in community. Life is better together. Now, I know I'm an extrovert, and so there is a bias going on here of I love to be around people. But I'm pretty sure that the introverts in the room still want to be amongst other people. Otherwise, why would you be here this morning? Why would my husband have married me? (laughs) He's a big old introvert. Things 
can be more enjoyable together. Like when we ran into the sea as a group on New Year's Day, freezing cold, it was fun because there were other people there enjoying it with me. Simon and I enjoyed a group thing on Boxing Day when his family came, and we watched one of the worst films on Netflix. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but The Christmas Prince. It's a terrible film. I don't recommend it to anyone, but as a group, we watched it, and it was hilarious. A number of you know that I have a football-loving husband and a football-loving best friend, and when we go out together, all they talk about is football. And I don't like it much. I'm not a football fan. But they took me to a match, a live match, and actually, I had a great time. It was hilarious, chanting along with everyone else, singing. The guys next to us that we'd never met, sharing their sweets. There was a real camaraderie, an atmosphere. Things are better when we're together. And as humans, we crave this community, the affirmation from others, companionship. There is something about us when we come together that's better. I did some research into the science side of this, of like why we're social beings. Apparently our neurons mirror each other. We try and match our emotions to each other, unconsciously and immediately. We leak emotions to each other. We anticipate and mirror each other's movements even. And when we're in sympathy or agreement with one another, and when we're on the same side, we try and mirror each other even more. We even mirror each other's brain activity when we're engaged in storytelling or listening, both halves of a communication conundrum. So as I'm standing here talking to you, I am looking for your responses, and you are actively listening to me and giving me that in return. I can see some of you smiling at me to encourage me already. We are better together. And that could be family, friends, lovers, or just an idea that unites us. A football team, a belief. So I bring it back to baptism. And I'm gonna say now, if you haven't been baptized and you'd be interested in it, do come and talk to me. If you've been thinking about it for a while, do come and talk to me. Because baptism is this perfect example this celebration of that personal thing that you share in community. We are better together. We do great things together. Baptism was one of the things we talked about when we were at Shake's hearing, at this public act. We are helping him because we are together. He wouldn't be able to do the things he's doing now if he was alone. We run a night shelter together. We give beds to 16 people every single Wednesday night over the winter period. We do Tuesday lunch every week together. We provide lunch for people who are from this local community, for people who are isolated and lonely and wouldn't have community otherwise. When we are together, we are powerful. We can create change. We can fill a copper box full of thousands of people to challenge the incoming mayors, to keep policies that are for the betterment of all, not just the few. We create shelter and safety. We can register our building to be courageous and to allow same-sex marriages. And this was my epiphany 
as I was reading through this and reflecting on this and spending time on my sermon this week. But with this epiphany, I also realized that groups can be fearful and stupid and dangerous. I'm sure you've all heard of the phrase mob mentality. But before we get to the mob, we can be a clique. People come together, but for the wrong reasons, still have power. Still can create change, but it may not be for the better. That power can be used to keep people out, to justify the status quo. This mob mentality is known as the herd or the crowd mentality. It's common in the media at the moment, throngs of people occupying streets after a devastating event. It's not always for the good. It's a sight that evokes fear in some. What will this group do? What won't they do? What kind of community are we going to be? What is our epiphany? For me, an epiphany is something that is worth turning your life around for. It changes things irrevocably. The epiphany of Jesus coming out of the baptismal waters, the Son of God. This was something new. This changed everything. The tearing of the curtain, the breaking down of the Holy of Holies, the accessible nature of God now. This changed everything. Even when the Magi came, the revelation of who Christ was going to be, my own personal epiphany when I was baptized, that this was no longer a personal private matter, that this was something to be shared in a group, in a congregation, in a family. I want us to be better together. I want us as a church to have an epiphany. What is it worth us changing our lives for? Who are we as a group of people going to be? What is it that brings us together? And then what will we achieve this year? How do I, as a leader, find that balance of listening to you and leading you? And how do you, as a community, find that balance between standing up for what you think is the right thing and listening to others and me as I try to lead you? How do we find the wisdom to know the difference between what we think is right but what actually serves our own interest and what actually is right? How do we trust each other? How can we begin to be courageous? And how can we disagree but move forward as one? John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is a, a reference to Isaiah, to Isaiah 40, about the messenger in the wilderness. And it's this idea of this symbolic tension between temple and wilderness, between the center and the power and those that are on the margins. 
And where is it that the God's voice is coming from? And this tension between the center and the power, or the perceived power, and the margins and the group and the relational power, this can be what turns a mob, or at least a community into an unhealthy community, this tension. Because this group mentality, it starts with everyone's individual experiences. The individual experience of humiliation, of not getting your way, of oppression, of discrimination, or of prejudice. And these collective experiences get heightened into an emotional mess. Because it's safer to express your anger and hostility in a group environment than it is individually. And when we're in a group, we egg each other on. Things like anonymity can add to group unity. It weakens our personal controls of guilt and shame and self-evaluating behavior. And we distance our ourselves from <laughs> others. So to me, it seems simple that the way we create healthy community is by spending time getting to know each other, building deeper relationships, knowing ourselves, knowing each other. If we know who we are, and we know who we want to be, as a group, we should be able to make the risky decisions, the courageous decisions. We've done it before. Jesus constantly risked ridicule and censor, and in the end it led him to the cross for the love of humanity. And his drive and his bias was always for the poor and the marginalized. And he should be our center. He should be the one that we are striving to be like. He dismantled the powers that told people who were in and who were out, who kept the boundaries, who kept those distant, who stirred up mob mentality that led Jesus to the cross. We have to reflect on each question, option, choice, opportunity or risk that comes before us this next year. Ask ourselves, does this benefit me? Does this benefit us? Or will this benefit the marginalized? Does this benefit Bloomsbury? Or does it benefit those who are not a part of our community yet? And then we have to ask ourselves whether we have the courage to practically see this through. Are we willing and ready to count the cost? The cost of inconvenience, the cost of our power or our platform, our money, our preference or our taste. Will we take this year the road less traveled or the path of least resistance? 
many of you know that this year we are going to be embarking on a vision process. And this has been at the back of my mind as I've been writing this sermon this week. Who are we going to be? Who is this process for? Who is our vision for? Who will we be for? I would love it if when we come to this process, we don't think about how things aren't going to work or how we can't do things, but try and think creative about how we could achieve what we want to achieve. Who do we want to be? How are we going to get there? And if this makes you uncomfortable, good. If you're going to tell me that we need to be careful and we need to be good stewards, I'm not telling you no, I'm just telling you don't let that be your first reaction. Jesus asks, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and receive the baptism with which I am baptised? Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. My epiphany is this, that we have to build a vision together. My vision is that we will be a church, the church that we say that we are trying to be on our website, that we are going to be inclusive of everyone. My vision is that we will benefit those who are not part of this group yet, part of this community yet. My vision is that we will be a people who are creative and dynamic and brave and open and known for our love. But it has to be together. There's no point me wanting that and you guys not coming with me. A friend of mine used to say, if you're a leader and no one's following you, you're just out for a walk. We have to do things together. We have to be in this together. This is what Jesus leaves us with. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let us pray. Loving Lord, how can we ever thank you? How can we thank you for another year of life, another year of blessings, another year of your presence in our lives, whether we choose to hold on to you or not? Here we stand, Lord, at the beginning of a new year of life, remembering this past year and thinking ahead to the next. While there is so much to consider, worry, and look forward to in the next year, there is still so much to remember from the last. Help us, God, to give thanks for the good and send us comfort for all the things that brought your people hurt, distress, and sadness. Lord, in your mercy, renew our sense of gratitude. Lord, 
we lift up all who have struggled this past year, in particular for those who have been bereaved. We lift up the many who have and continue to suffer and die in Yemen. We lift up your children in all war-torn war places who continue to suffer due to conflicts, wars and crisis, which cover so many places and yet about which little is known in other parts of the world. We ask you that you walk alongside your dear children. May your strength wash over us as a blanket of healing. Lord, in your mercy, renew our strength. While this next year may bring pain and heartache to some of your people, may we find hope in knowing that you will always walk with us, regardless of what may happen. We ask that you will be with the many families who are still separated from their children at Mexico's border. While so many of us will never understand this kind of separation, we know that your presence is so necessary for those children and their devastated parents. Lord, in your mercy, renew our hope. As we reflect on this past year, we remember all those who will no longer be a part of our lives in the coming days and months. We already know that our lives will not be the same without them, and yet we know that their memories will live on with us, even though their presence feels so far from us. We particularly pray for the many who have died and the many, many who are still missing because of the volcano eruption and landslides in Indonesia. May you bring solace to those who overcome who are overcome with weary because of their still missing loved ones. Lord, in your mercy, renew our memories. Lord, while it may seem that this year will be the same as the last, help us to cling to you and to have the courage to share your hope and divine love with every, everyone we meet as we reimagine our lives as not only our own, but as, as your children. For this and for your hope, we give thanks. May you continually nurture our voices so that we might share your love with all. Hear these words, Lord, that we might continually draw near to you. Lord, in your mercy, renew your people. Amen.